anyone recognize this? Okay, so this is interesting. Since Kraft, I got to put my Bible right here until I need it. Since Kraft launched Velveeta in the 50s, they have sold something like a couple billion of these. And for a long time, people believed this was cheese. They actually believed it was better than cheese. And the American Medical Association actually gave it their stamp of approval. In fact, they said that it promotes, and I quote, firm flesh. I'm not even joking. You can Google it and look it up. But... It was the 50s. What did they know? No one read labels. It was a time that doctors actually promoted cigarettes, right? It, it looked like cheese. It tasted good. You could like melt it and dip it in stuff. And so they called it cheese and they thought it was great. And little did they know that it was an imitation. Then someone started to realize, you know what? You don't have to refrigerate that. That's weird. And then they were like, it has a shelf life of six months. That's even weirder. <laughs> and then someone said, guess what? This isn't cheese. It's not cheese. It's imitation. And even though it's fake cheese, I ate it. And I really enjoyed it at one point. And I know you're probably like, Abby, it's just cheese. Calm down. It's okay. But I settled for an imitation. And what really bothers me, though, is when I settle for an imitation of things like peace, and joy, and abundance. Those are the things that really put an ache in my heart. We get a hold of this imitation where we're like, it looks good, it tastes good. And people are like, it is good. And so we think we're content and we're satisfied and we hold on to this imitation. But what God has for us and what we don't realize is, ladies, we don't need to eat the rubber cheese <laughs> because what God has and what he offers us is the real deal. So we need to stop settling for it. Well, the good news is, even though I'm in therapy for eating the imitation cheese, the comforting thing is, and hopefully you'll find encouragement, is that I'm not and we're not the only ones who have done this. In fact, there was a time when the Israelites were settling for a false god and worshiping a false god, and God sends a new test, or excuse me, an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah with a message that's very clear. And he says to them, stop eating the rubber cheese because what God has for you is not an imitation. Come and be filled by him. So if you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me to Isaiah 55. Trade the cheese for a Bible. Isaiah 55. And we're going to start, I'm going to go through the whole chapter tonight, but we're actually going to start in verse 12 and 13. We're going to start at where we're going, and then I'm going to take you back up to the top. So verse 12, for you, the you here is Israel. It's the church. It's us. It's deeply rooted 2019. For you shall go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut up, cut off. This ladies is what I believe God has for us. He has abundance. He has joy. He has peace. 
This is what God wants for our lives. And this is what I believe he has for this this weekend. We've already heard it from the words that have been brought from the songs that we've sung. I believe that he has it for us. And he wants us to go out with abundant joy and abundant peace. And we can see in the scripture that he's gonna lead us there. It says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to lead us out in joy and peace. And verse 12 continues to tell us to what extent. It says, the mountains and the hills before you are breaking forth into singing. Can you picture it? Trees clapping their hands. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said, the abundance of joy in the Lord is so great that even the stones will worship. Even the mountains are gonna cry out in worship. In Luke 19, Jesus goes into Jerusalem and people are worshiping and they're praising and they're loud and the Pharisees come in and they're like, Jesus, can you and your people keep it down? Like your happy's getting a little too loud. And Jesus like, are you kidding? The joy that I have for you is so great that even all of creation is gonna cry out. Even all of creation is gonna get in on this. And then it goes on to say that instead of the thorns and the briars shall come up cypress and myrtle. Now, both of these are trees and the readers would have known that. Both of them are good trees. They bear good fruit and good oil. And isn't that what God does? He takes our thorns and our briars. He takes our bad and he turns it into good and he blesses us. He takes our mourning and turns it into dancing. If you came in this weekend sad, you are invited to leave with joy. If you came in this weekend frustrated, you're invited to leave with peace because he's got abundance for us, ladies. If you're not sure how to do this or what it looks like, where's my friend Vicki Mowry? There she is. Just ask Vicki Mowry, because while she was still paralyzed and in the worst pain of her life, many, know, many of us know what she's gone through recently, she was able to say, and God brought her to a place where she could say, This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice. That's what God does for us, and that's what he has for each and every one of us. Then it goes on to say that he wants us to feel and experience joy. This joy that's over the top, that's abundant. And look at this. This is where I think it gets really good. It says, it that is the abundant joy, shall make a name for the Lord and a sign that will never end. What's being said here is that God's desire to give us abundant joy and his name will be the sign forever. So who is God's name? What is his name? Who is God to us? Well, one of his names should be the one who wants to bring joy in my life, the one who wants to bless me abundantly, So for the rest of our time tonight, because I truly believe that this is what God has for us, we're gonna go back up to verse one in chapter 55 and just walk our way through it. We're gonna take a look at what does this joy look like? What does this abundance look like? How do we get it and what keeps us from it? So let's take a look starting in verse one. It says, come, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he that has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We know and see here that God is an inviting God. There's an invitation to come. He welcomes us into his presence. The door is always open and he is always knocking. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, oftentimes this verse is used for an unbeliever and inviting the Lord into their heart for the first time. But actually, this was written as a letter to the church of Laodicea, the church of believers. And it's meant to be a reminder of the close close relationship that God desires to have with us if we'll respond to him. He knocks and we respond. We also see here that Isaiah is addressing two groups of people, and this is where it gets personal, ladies. First, he's specifically inviting those that are thirsty and they're broke. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've come here this weekend and you feel dry. Maybe hopes run out. Maybe everything seems out of reach. Maybe you have no money, no strength, no motivation. God says to you, you're the one that I'm inviting to this banquet table this weekend, this abundant banquet table, come and drink. The second group of people he's talking to is those that are self-sufficient. Those of us who think we've arrived because we know a little bit, right? We look in verse two, it says, they're not broke, they've got money, they've got strength, but what they're buying isn't bread. And what they're spending their energy and their strength on doesn't satisfy. Then Isaiah, and I love Isaiah in this moment, when he he asks this poignant question, this costly question, and he says, why? Why do you keep eating the rubber cheese and are content with your firm flesh when he's offering the real deal? Why do we settle for less than God's abundance? How could I have the job that I want, the money I want, the time to spend how I want, when everything on the outside looks as though I should be happy, and when inside there's a deep ache of dissatisfaction. We look to idols to satisfy, whether it's a job or a title, a position, a relationship, children, a house, status, whatever it may be. We look for idols to satisfy. The list goes on and on. Or have you ever played the when-then game? Maybe, Maybe it's just me, maybe a few of you. When I get the promotion, then I'll be happy. When I'm done with this project, then I'll be patient with my kids. When we move into the bigger house, then we can start inviting people over. When, 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 and the list goes on and on, but yet everything falls short. So this first group of people he's inviting, they're at the end of their rope, right? They know it, they're thirsty, they're broke, and they want something new. And the second group of people I feel he's talking to is they're not there yet. They've got money and they're spending. They've got strength and they're laboring. And I have to say, I feel like I've experienced both. I've been flat on my back, just out of surgery, unable to do anything for myself, um, knowing I have very little to give and desperate for the Lord. Things felt bleak um, and unsure. And I've also been in a place in my life where I had the money I want, the job I wanted, the time to spend it how I wanted. And I've experienced lacking in both. So my question is, what about you? 
What group do you identify with right now? Are you thirsty and desperately needed of him? Or are you living on Velveeta and growing firm flesh? You might be like, how do I know? How do I know what group I'm in? I don't, I don't know, maybe a little bit of both. Well, one of the ways that we can tell is by what do you say when people ask you how you are? You're like, great, good, awesome, hashtag blessed. Things are great, right? Thumbs up. Or maybe it's when someone asks you how they can pray for you. How do you answer then? Man, a couple weeks ago, I was in a prayer meeting and totally experienced this. Someone had asked me how they could pray for me. And I wasn't even in tune with what to share. And instead, I deflected. And the sad thing is in that, I was desperately wanting to hear from God. I wanted to be prayed for so deeply. But instead of making myself weak and vulnerable, I deflected and we prayed for the conference, which was great because I wasn't willing to let my guard down and to be vulnerable. It is much easier to put on a happy face and keep pushing forward. What about prayer? When's the last time you guys went up for prayer? We, we have prayer every Sunday. And I know some of you are like, but I'm serving and I'm with the kids and I'm you know, ushering and greeting. And yes, you are. And thank God that you are. But don't use that as an excuse, ladies. Or what about community group? It takes way more strength to be vulnerable than to keep pushing forward with your happy face. So once we can consider and acknowledge where we are with the Lord, we can help us ask, now what? Well, we know he's offering abundance, right? Abundance, joy, abundant peace. And we see that represented in this passage in three drinks. So looking again at verse one and two, we see water, milk, and wine. So first, water. Water corresponds to a refreshing drink. Water is a cleansing drink. If you're thirsty, you want water, right? If you're in a desert, you want water. It's a basic necessity. Psalm 23 reminds us that he leads us to still waters and that he restores our soul. So God invites you, if you're feeling dry, to receive from him tonight and to start afresh. And to the Hebrew milk, Milk was not a bad drink. It wasn't a good drink. It was a sustaining drink, right? We give milk to babies to nourish them and to grow them. And so we know that God doesn't want to just refresh us, but he also wants to grow us and sustain us. And then we look at wine, wine. Wine in the ancient Jewish community was always a sign of celebration. We want to be refreshed. We want to be strong and growing. And we want to celebrate and have joy I would say, I don't care what personality type you are. Some of you are like, well, I'm a little bit more on the quiet side. And some of you are like, woohoo, bring on the party. I would say no matter where you are, there is something deep inside of each and every one of us that God has made that desires joy, that desires me shouting and dancing and playing no matter what it may look like and celebrating. So he meets us where we are. He offers us exactly what we need and he leads us into abundance. Abundant joy because he's a generous father who does not hold back, who does not spare any expense, not even his own son. So how do we tap into this abundance? He invites us and we need to respond, right? The invitation is there and then we need to move in his direction. He's moved in ours, we need to move in his. 
He's knocking at the door and we need to answer it. So he's inviting us to come. Now we need to do is to respond. So notice the repetition in verse one and two. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money. Come all to me who are weary to eat, to experience, to delight. And notice that how we come is that we hear. We listen diligently in verse two. Verse three, it says, incline your ears. And why do we listen? The reason we listen is because abundance comes in the form of a message. Verse three says an everlasting covenant, a covenant that just isn't for us, but is for all people. It's a message and a covenant, but where did that covenant originate? It originated with Abraham. God came to Abraham and he made a covenant. He said, I will bless you and through you, I will bless the nations. Not only does he wanna bless us, but he wants to bless all peoples. Look at verse four and five with me. It says, behold, I am a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God was the one to guarantee this promise. God promises to bless Abraham and through him, he will bless us. This is what God wants to do in our lives. And this is the covenant that he wants to bless us through. He's always wanted to bless us, right? He gave us the garden and said, I wanna bless you. I wanna give you an inheritance. And in the new Testament, in the new covenant, we see Christ is God's way to fulfill that promise. The guaranteed promise was through Jesus, life, death, and resurrection on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he that knew no sin became our sin that he might be made, that we might be made the righteousness of God. There it is. It's this great exchange. He's doing all the work. That's the amazing news. We don't get a checklist of to-dos. We don't have to muster up. We don't have to do more. He's done all the work. And we give up our life in exchange for his. We get the blessing that's in him. But there's a problem because we don't have much time. So look at what verse six says. It says, we have to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The writer of Hebrews in chapter three, verse seven says this. Today, if you hear his voice, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. That's what we're here this weekend to do, right? We get to exhort one another to receive from the abundant Father to gather around the cross and to receive the blessings of his grace. That's what he has for us. Our role is to believe what God says. And the gospel says that we are beautiful because Jesus is beautiful. We are loved because Jesus is loved. This is that great exchange. We are made righteous and beautiful and have abundance in him. The listening part is that we have to hear the gospel, but not just with our ears, right? But with our hearts to listen and to obey and to really obey. This Hebrew word, this is interesting. 
The Hebrew word for listen is shema. So we read in scripture that God is the maker of our ability to shema. Can we listen and obey on our own? Absolutely not. But there's no Hebrew word for the word obey because according to Old Testament usage, the word for listen and obey was actually this one singular word, shema. Say it with me, shema. Shema means to listen and obey. They go hand in hand. So we, we have to listen to it. We have to speak it over ourselves. We have to speak it to one another. Can you imagine what it would look like if we were a woman that spoke life and truth and grace and God's promises over one another to encourage one another and stir one another up for the good things that God has for us? What would it look like if we were women that did that? What freedom would come when we remember that our identity is in Him? We don't have to stir up ourselves when we're feeling like, man, these pants are a little bit tight and life's a mess and everything's crazy, and, but it's okay because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It's true and it's His promise, but it's not about who we are. It's about who He is. And because of who He is, we get to be. And it's so important because so often we can go to this book and we can look like, what does it say about me? What does it say about me? How do I, how do I, how do I? And when we realize this book is about him, we can believe and hear with our ears and with our hearts. We need to speak it over ourselves. We need to speak over one another. We need to let that word dwell richly within us, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We need to let it get in deep and allow ourselves to come close, to take a drink and spend time with our heavenly father. To receive this blessing though, means that we need to forsake something. For Abraham, he had to go and leave his land in order to go with God. And for us, it means that we need to turn our life of sin and turn towards him. Stop looking at the imitation, give up the rubber cheese and not be satisfied with an imitation. Practically, this could mean that we might need to repent to stop trusting ourselves, to come before God and to turn our ways. Verse seven says that in our seeking of what he wants, we have to forsake what we want. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So first we seek and then we forsake. To forsake the ways of an unrighteous man, this word forsake means to abandon, to pardon, to desert, to leave, to quit. So this, he's saying, stop sinning, turn away from the ways of the world and return to the Lord. And the good news is when we do, it says, he will have compassion on us and he will abundantly pardon. There's that word again, abundantly. Not just a little, not just enough. And it's, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to imagine this because I mean, I feel like I'm a gracious person in general. You show up late once and I'm like, you know, that's fine. I got grace for it. Life's busy. You show up late a second time and I'm like, well, that's annoying, but I'm going to get over it. Carry on. You show up a third time and I'm like, okay, I think we're done. This isn't going to work out. 
This amazing thing is, is that his grace is endless. David reminds us in the Psalms that as far as the East is from the West, so far he removes our transgressions. Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning, not some morning, not occasional mornings, but all mornings. He pardons abundantly. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this because it's not how I think. And yet he does because he's God. He is like no other, which takes us into verse eight and nine, which are my favorites. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The four at the beginning of each of these verses points to the previous. So when, when we read, he pardons abundantly and we're like, are you sure, God? I don't have to clean everything up before I approach you. Or if you really knew everything I did, or maybe someone brought a word about unforgiveness. Maybe it's not even about forgiving someone else. Maybe it's about forgiving yourself. And maybe you're like, forget the first, second, or third time. What about the fifth, sixth, 100th time? Can I still come to him in forgiveness? And the answer is abundantly. It's because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And can I just say, thank goodness. If his thinking was like my thinking, ladies, it, was, it would not go well because my thoughts are so small. They're so immediate. They're so selfish. They're so sinful. They're so linear. They're limited and they're one-dimensional. We live in a society that values thoughts. Right? We have all these platforms to share our thoughts on. We have Instagram and Facebook Live. We have blogs and Twitters and other apps that I don't know the name of, but I hear of all the time. And that makes me feel old. We have influencers galore. Everywhere we turn, people are sharing their thoughts. And in fact, we share our thoughts about other people's thoughts so that when people see our thoughts, they like it. And we get a thumbs up or we get a like or we get a little heart and it makes us feel good. And I'm not slamming social media. God uses it in amazing ways, and there are great things that come for it, from it, but it is so dangerous for us ladies to think that our thoughts are so valuable and to allow others' thoughts to lead us and to guide us. And in fact, it's why Paul in Romans 8 says, we need to renew our mind daily. But his thoughts, ladies... His thoughts are perfect. Isaiah reminds us that they are higher than the heavens. They're infinite distance between God and us. So how does the finite connect with the infinite, right? How do we, the answer is we can't. We can't, but he's closed the gap of eternity between us and him. And we can be satisfied in that. We are invited, we get to, and we should allow God to be God. We all are probably vaguely familiar with the uh, story of Job, if you don't know it well. So Job suffers greatly, and he's asking God all these questions chapter after chapter, and God doesn't answer, and God still doesn't answer. And then all of a sudden, in, verse, in chapter 38, God answers. And this is what he says. Every time I read this, I cry. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And God continues to answer throughout this chapter. Who laid the cornerstone? Who have commanded the morning or caused the dawn to know its place? God's answering Job's questions, but with a surprise because he doesn't answer Job's questions directly, except for to imply in his reply. And he doesn't not answer his questions because there is no answer. He answers Job's questions with this barrage of counter questions that are actually pointing towards the mysteries of creation. God's establishing with Job, my ways are here and your thinking is here. And the beautiful part of this is, is that God's not saying like, oh, little Job, little, little Job, I'm God, you're just little. No, God's showing these mysteries and wonders and saying to Job that you can find comfort and rest when you let me be God. And when you remember that I hold all things together, that you have life and you have breath because I have spoken it. God reminds Job who's in control. And in the midst of that, Job is more comforted than any answer to his questions could have been. Remember when I started, I mentioned that person who came in sad and that you'd have an invitation to leave happy or the person who came in frustrated that you could leave with peace. This is why, ladies, because he's in control. He is sovereign and he is God. That is our comfort. We get to surrender. We can let go. And when we do, the most beautiful thing happens. We worship. We don't come to God and we define the terms. He defines the terms. This reminds us to approach him with humility and awe when he takes his rightful place on the throne in our lives. We don't approach this book looking for what it says about me, but it's all about him. And as we lean in, we realize that we're not like him. He is like no other. And seeing that, receiving that, believing that, confessing that leads us to worship and abundance. I'll be honest, this is an area in my life where God continues to work on me. I don't know that I'm ever gonna get it. I just am thankful for his abundant grace. There was a time not too long ago, uh, I had been spending some time praying and really asking God, had a question of, what was his will in my life and seeking some answers. And the interesting thing was that on this day, I was making coffee. Like I was doing the totally mundane task of making coffee. And I felt like God whispered into my heart. One of those, like, it got in so deep. I felt like I could hear his voice. And he said to me, Abby, what have I created you for? And I thought about it. I pondered it in my heart. And I was kind of excited because I thought, well, this is it. You've created me for relationship and worship with you, God, right? Yes. And then I felt like he said something to me. Is that enough for you? If you never do anything else for me, is that enough? Is relationship with me enough? Is worship with me enough? And I think he invites us to consider that question today.
We look at this abundant life and this imitation that we can often be striving and wanting more and putting on an image and contending for things and pursuing things and we still come up lacking. Or maybe like we start off, we're dry and we just know we need God. Is he enough? As King of Kings and Lord of Lords, do we allow him to reign and rule in our lives? When abundance is sitting at his feet and abundance is being in his presence, abundance is resting in our sovereignty, resting in his sovereignty, then we can put down the imitation cheese, right? We can be bare before God, vulnerable and weak, ready to receive his strength, not our own. Receiving this free gift of refreshment and nourishment and joy, drinking from the cup that he has for us. Why don't we go ahead and stand? I just wanna respond to this word. It's good for us to come to God and to say, we receive from you. When we started tonight, Linda had us open our hands and some of that's letting go and some of that's receiving from him. Either way, we wanna approach God with humility and awe and wonder of our King. I just wanna pray for us for a few minutes and the band's just gonna play, pray, play. Time for some water. The band's just gonna play behind me for a few minutes. We talked about seeking and listening. And I think sometimes, at least I know, when I go to God, I've, I've got a lot to say. But really the invitation for us is as daughters to come before him and to listen. So we're gonna do that for a few minutes. I'm gonna pray for us and we're just gonna listen. I'd encourage you to close your eyes where you're at. Maybe you need to open your hands and surrender. If you feel there's so many different places in the Bible when people got in the presence of God, they fell to their knees. We see Moses in Exodus. God says to him, Moses, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. And Moses bows. God gives the disciples an abundance of fish and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus and he falls at his feet and worships. No matter where you're at, let's get still before God and let's just a few minutes listening. God, we thank you. We thank you that you send out your word and it does not return void, that it accomplishes its purposes. And we trust that God tonight, your word is gonna do a good work in us. We thank you for this invitation into abundance. We thank you that you meet us right where we are. God, we say as your daughters, we desperately need you. Whether we're dry or we think we have a few things figured out, we know that life apart from you is not abundance. But life with you, when we abide in your presence, then we bear fruit. God, we want to be daughters that come to you first. You are faithful and you are true and you are so good to speak when we listen. And so God, we pray that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, would you do the work in our hearts that only you can do? Would you reveal things and transform us in ways that we may not even know what to pray for, but we can walk away transformed because we've been in your presence. Have your way with us, Jesus. Jesus.